Happy Thanksgiving from Bear With Us as the Bears get set to take on the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football in Minneapolis. Nick and I will get you ready with a Thanksgiving buffet of stats, analysis, breakdowns, and more on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody? My name is Robert Schmitz, editor-in-chief of Da Bears Blog, here as always with my co-host Nick Whalen of Football Guys for another episode of your favorite Chicago Bears podcast, Bear With Us. Nick, how you doing? We're recording on Wednesday, but I think this is going to come out near Thursday, so happy Thanksgiving, Nick. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still traveling, not my, norm, my normal setup, and uh I, I, I certainly have my favorites for Thanksgiving, Robert, but I'm curious to start with what are some of your favorite things to eat on Thanksgiving? The turkey. Everybody hates on the turkey, but You're a turkey that guy. dark meat turkey is delicious. And recently my parents have gotten like, so I'm probably 29, but I still go over most of the time to hang out with my parents on Thanksgiving. And my mom used to cook this massive, like massive buffet of Thanksgiving dinner before she realized that eight hours of cooking for 45 to an hour and a half of eating and then three hours of cleaning just didn't feel worth it. So she started, we started just like grilling steaks and whatnot, but there is this part in my soul that is like, Oh, but that, that Turkey kind of goes off. And I think I'm the only one in America that thinks that way. The stuffing is the other one that I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That stuff rules. But what about mm-hmm. you? So, so hold on. Are, are you the stuffing so it's in the bird or are you the dressing so it's made outside the bird? Oh, I guess it would be dressing, right? Okay. If, if it was stuffed, I think I would really enjoy it. That sounds awesome. I, I would do that myself if I got mm-hmm. the chance. But <clears throat> I just – I guess I've never tried it. What about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah stuffing is my favorite because I, I feel like it gets a little bit more moisture and flavor going on there. Um, I like sweet potato pie. I think that's a good oh, one. Yeah. The, the the turkey, the turkey, I struggle with Robert because it can get dry, and then you're sure. like, uh, but what some if, people get uh, they get nice with it. So so our, say, our what owner, if I said cook it better, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, our owner at football guys, Joe Bryant, he um he infused like Coca Cola and like okay. marinated within okay. the turkey. So I'm curious how that would taste. I I am too. I mean, there's so many things that people do with food that are just outstanding. Like the first time I heard about like what it was a beer battered stuff, like you get beer battered fried chicken, et cetera. I was like, who thought of this? Who (laughs) thought this was a good idea? Why does it work? No, it's beer battered like barbecue stuff. And as a Texan, we get all kinds of really delicious barbecue. Now it's the wet stuff. So that's just what I've grown up with, right? Right. Like we don't get the Kansas City dry rubs or anything like that. But we got a couple places in Dallas, for instance. I mean, I could rattle them off if anybody's a Texan that are just outrageous barbecue places. And the things people do with it is insane. Which speaking of, okay, as as a natural born Midwesterner, what is the spice tolerance like in the Midwest? Like, if you were going to give me the average spice tolerance, it's not high. Seriously, it's probably, it's probably medium range. Um, but I mean, like, it's not like like Indian food. You know, is like here. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. And oh, then yeah. there's probably you guys. You know, we're probably somewhere in here. We're probably middle, low middle is my guess. No, I get you. One one other piece to living in Texas that just gets funny is that I mean, you go to a Mexican restaurant, they want to put jalapenos and habanero peppers on nearly everything right and then you go to a barbecue place and they want to give you 14 jalapenos and a raw onion 
most of the time. <laughs> and so you you just get used to it. And I'm thinking out about like the stuffing in Texas is generally pretty onion heavy, like among other spices. But it just made me think like I, I thought Tabasco I'm sweating sauce. thinking about that, man. I love it. I love just <laughs> sweating out the pores as I eat something that is setting my intestines on fire. And <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> so, well. Something else is making me sweat, Robert. Okay, as we dive into this game here, I'm Killer burning segue. on something. Okay, I'm I'm burning on something. Killer so, segue. <laughs> so I watched all 22. You did as well, you know. And um, there's something that just bothers me from a schematic thing. And this is again as a coach. Okay, there's certain things you do and don't do. Okay, you set up your players for good plays or good situations so they can you know be productive, and you get them away from bad ones. There were so many times in this game where I saw the Lions running in positive situations, in positive um, um, double teams, like a duo, right? They're, they're double teaming up to the back because they're getting movement. And then they're running with six guys in the box. The last run with David Montgomery, by the way, the Bears are man coverage. And basically, the, there's no no one in an A-gap. And then there's Eddie Jackson about seven yards deep. And I'm like, that that's your answer? And then, and then you see the Bears running against eight-man fronts consistently throughout the game when they need to get rushing yardage. And I'm like, is this even smart? Because in those situations, you pass because it's one-on-one with DJ Moore and anyone at corner for Detroit who's bad versus, okay, seven guys in the box. Okay, we'll read one guy with Justin Fields and it'll be our, our blockers on, you know, six defenders. Like, like make it make sense, Robert, because I to me, they set up the Bears to fail in the run game consistently and the Bears – failed to stop Detroit run game consistently as well. Well, okay, so it's funny you say this because, all right, so everybody's heard the joke about how 15-year-olds with Madden controller generally have better time management skills than most head coaches. Everybody's heard this joke. But Mm -hmm. one of the other things that I think we learned in Madden when we were younger, look, lessons from Madden, right? You could practically make it a series. But, Nick, the moment you start trying to keep your lead is the moment you begin to lose the game in Madden, in real football. And the Bears, I mean, gosh, you could say that they started doing this as soon as they got to 23-14. They began to focus on trying to not lose the game. Even that long drive where they controlled the clock all the way down the field, that Mm -hmm. drive got extended very early by a pretty ticky-tack defensive holding call on They got lucky. I, I mean, and if it was a wide receiver, it's a hold. Let's be so real. But it's a tight end. Tight ends tend to battering ram their way through DBs mm-hmm. all the time. I'm almost surprised that the that the DB got punished for it on that specific play, and it ended up breaking open a drive where the Bears were able to eat nearly nine minutes. But to your point, the Bears seemed as if they got the edict to run the ball, and I'm surprised with the way that they ran the ball in some of these cases, just because you talk about eight-man boxes, but I mean, Nick, you go and you look at the second-to-last drive, the Bears are using short and long motion to move Mercedes Lewis all over the line of scrimmage to change up the run fits for the Lions, and they were able to, I'm not going to say every every run was perfect, but they at least moved the ball on more plays than in the second drive, no motion. We're just going to line up, and run our eight against your nine. And in a shocking twist, that did not work. And, Wait, and, and it was it was inside zone. There were no double teams. And, no. It, and if it was, it was it was our Feeney, and he gave just a little a little forearm shiver, basically. To, okay, Nate Davis, you got him. He goes up, and then you see Detroit, and they're like manhandling 
moving back Dexter and Billings and whomever on a double team. And obviously Edmonds doesn't, you know, he doesn't come up as quickly because he's a past linebacker. And it's just like, oh, that's, yeah. that, that's coaching. That's scouting. And pulling from history. You remember that period between about 2014 to 2019, where <clears throat> the NFL college football, everybody collectively realized that running it up the gut on fourth and one is a failing proposition because mm-hmm. it, you'd swear that it, it, it failed more times than it succeeded. Like I yep. can remember some horrible, Oh man, I'm going to dig up a bad memory. You remember the absolutely abysmal 2019 uh, week one Bears game against the Packers with that Cordero Patterson, like run up the gut. I think there was more than one, but I remember one in particular that lost like three yards because James Daniels blows his block immediately and then just gets eaten. Oh, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here, modern defenders are good enough. They are talented enough that if we don't respect that they can win one gap, when we, when they know we're running the ball, we are being foolish. Like, yep. it is incredibly difficult to ask even a really good rushing team to dig out nearly nine guys, eight guys in many cases, to create any running room at all, let alone when they know it's coming. I mean, I'm not saying you have to run play action, but can't we at least pull DJ Moore across the formation with that snap motion? Can't we at least send, say, Colkmet or Mercedes Lewis across the formation to set up a pin and pull toss outside? Not everything needs to be toss running game, but if we don't at least threaten that we could go somewhere else other than up (laughs) the middle, then yeah, they're going to tune up and you end up in third and nine after two blinks of the eye. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and how many times did we run that split zone, right? Where your your tight end comes across the formation and kicks out the backside D end successfully or unsuccessfully. I was about to say, that. did they? Did they Where, kick right, out the right, backside they, D end? They ran the play. But, but what do you do? <laughs> that's a sift block, right? And that sift block, how many times have you seen that where they bluff that and then they, they leak out into the flight on that easy play action? You can dump it to him. He's got another crosser and then he's got a clear out. It's like a little float over there, or the quarterback can run like that would be easy because at the end it was we need to take time off the clock. We want to move the ball and get first downs. Well, it feel like, feels like the Bears only want to take time off the clock. Even when they drove down, when they're up 23 to 14 after Fields' long run, what did they do? Run, run, run on third and seven, kick field goal. Like they didn't even want to convert down there. It's like do things where Fields was running all day, making smart decisions on the edge. He could just sit and take a sack, and I'd be okay with that sack. That's fine. That's still running the clock. Like, do things on the edge because interior was not working all day. No. And I mean, it's really tough in the interior, especially when they're willing to play five wide with two linebackers sitting over the A gaps and the B gaps mm-hmm. for crying out loud. Like mm-hmm. it is not easy to run up the gut in that setting. And it's why you see so many teams that are successful running up the gut at least begin with an outside zone or a wide zone run so that you open up a cutback lane when you get defenders moving. I mean, mm-hmm. we just don't live in a world where we can simultaneously talk about how good these defenders are getting and also hammer the ball up the middle with incredible right. success. And you right. can't do it in college either. Watch a Big Ten game. These They are just beating the snot out of each other up the middle, but it's also mm-hmm. loaded with punts because this is not a winning prop. It's not a scoring proposition, right? Well, and you look at the whole game. Okay, where did the Bears win? Passing the football, running with Justin Fields. Literally is all we had on offense. And then oh, what yeah. did they do at the end? It was like, well, let's just grind it out and let's limit the game and, and whatnot. It's like you went away from the only thing that worked. I mean, the second half, they had four scoring drives 
And then they went really conservative and that's what you get. And to bring it back a little bit, there's actually a bunch of things we can say. Maybe I'll work the other one in. But to bring it back to your point about comparing it with the Lions game, I thought Ben Johnson managed this game about as well as he could. There are going to be mm-hmm. all kinds of people that are going to look at this and they're going to say, how do you say that when the Bears turned the ball over three times? And I'd look back and I'd say, Jared Goff made some really quirky decisions throughout the the first three quarters. If anything, this is seeing, and this game was watching an offensive coordinator work around quickly realizing his quarterback did not have it today. And yep. that's, I think, really, really intriguing because every time the Bears lined up to defend a pass, Ben Johnson would work a run in anyways, and they nearly all succeeded. I mean, going back to first drive, or not first drive, first successful drive, right? Third and five, sitting on the eight-yard line. Bears go with a double four-eye. So long story short, everybody, they don't play a nose tackle, right? They don't Mm -hmm. play a one-tech, a nose tackle. There's nobody in the middle. So what did the Lions do? They went five wide, three to the right, two to the left, and then they ran a trap run where Goff pitched it to Amon Ross St. Brown, who imitated Jameer Gibbs, sprinted up the uh, the middle of the defense. Justin Jones is the only reason it didn't score because he actually wasn't fooled, but they get the first down, end up creating a touchdown out of it. And Genius. It, it was awesome. The fact that at the ending drive, they were willing. One of the other plays that I loved, you talked about Montgomery racing up the hole. My favorite part about that play is that they were at 2.05 with the two-minute warning looming, and they caught the Bears thinking, oh, it's a two-minute situation. They got a pass here. No, they don't. And nope. Ben Johnson did not. Ben Johnson wasn't phased by the amount of like he was very aware of what he had time for and what he did not have time for and if anything just saying he ran that clinical older brother madden drive where he actually took his time so that he could bleed the clock down Mm -hmm. and make sure he was the only one scoring at the end of the game they they had they had two 10-yard runs on that last drive i mean and that that, and and, i mean they did the touchdown run and before that there was what third and two and they're like, right. we're going to run it up the middle when you only have six guys in the box. Like, it makes sense. It was so neat. And it doesn't help anything that when you talk about comparing the Lions game to the Bears running game, the Bears also kept asking Tyler Scott and Darnell Mooney. So Darnell Mooney was an awesome run blocker as a rookie. And I don't know if people just like figured something out or if Darnell lost the will to do it, but he has not been a stellar run blocker since. And mm-hmm. I would tell, I would love to. There's nothing I would love to do more than praise Darnell Mooney. He's one of my favorite receivers on the Bears, like as a fan, right? But watching number 13 and number 11 keep trying to pin people and not get it, let alone when Tyler Scott, in some cases, like we saw in that third and five, I think it was, maybe it was third and 11 with Roshan Johnson, just whiff and not get anybody. Like, I was surprised at how poor the Bears' perimeter run blockers were at simply finding the man they needed to pick out. Right? Like, did you see this? I saw multiple moments of <clears throat> there's a <clears throat> there's a moment where ESB and Cole Komet block the same guy and the unblocked rusher steps up and Khalil Herbert yep. has to juke him in the hole. There's Darnell mm-hmm. Wright on that bash run late in the game, not finding a run lane that they're I'm certain. I'm certain he needs to go through. JTO Sullivan's yep. certain. It's bizarre. I mean, Feeney is clearly I think it's Feeney. No, it might be Patrick, is clearly kicking the guy out. And Darnell Wright just goes around him. Maybe he didn't think he had the gas to get through the hole, but it blows the play up. Like there were way too many of these just like doy gaffs from the uh, like the Bears run blocking. And Mm -hmm. it just didn't feel tight. 
right? Well, the, the, the biggest one is the one you talked about with Tyler Scott, where he's coming in to, to dig out the safety on a run play, and the safety runs away because he's in man coverage with Komet, who motioned across. There's no one for him to block. If he just turns and gets in the way of the corner, Roshan Johnson might have a 30-yard touchdown run. But instead, he just turns around and looks around real quick, and then Roshan has to, if people remember, it's on a third down where Roshan hits the defender right about the first down marker. He fights and goes over the top of him, and then Nate Davis pushes him for a first down. But, like, it didn't need to be that hard. No. What, one, one question is this. So I know we want to be warm and fuzzy a little bit about the Bears' defense. They've got, you know, three turnovers. The special team's got one, you know, all this stuff. And I talked about on our last podcast that the Lions got 29 points and only 19 minutes of time of possession. Question for you, Robert, off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. How many times did the Lions punt? Uh, I think they – I mean, I, I don't know if they punted at all. Did they punt at all? Did they punt once? Two Twice. punts. Because they turned it and like that, that's, that's the sign of a good defense, right? I mean, they, we really didn't stop them outside of them just messing up and turning the ball over. Well, okay, you have to count the three turnovers. So that's five stops. <laughs> like, but I mean, how do you feel good about the defense when – Because they got five stops. Like I do hear you. I promise I would, I would love to just wax this defense truly because the bears being bad and Matt Eberflus getting fired would warm, not the bears being bad. The bears being bad does not warm my heart, but Matt Eberflus finding his way out the door is a direction that I'm definitely leaning towards. And so I would love to tell you that this defense is playing like really badly, but for crying out loud, man, Gervon Dexter, a rookie knifes through the middle of the defense, tips a ball, that ends up floating to Tremaine Edmonds. It it's awesome. We're getting big time contributions from him. He beats Panay Sewell for Panay Sewell's second quarterback hit allowed of the season off yeah. the edge. Then later, he, he like he clubs. I think it was uh, the center whose name escapes me, Frank Ragnow. Like he clubs a first round pick center, gets right around him, and nearly ends up with a sack. Like you had, you got real contributions from Gervin mm-hmm. Dexter, the one tech, three tech, and defensive end for crying out loud. Like, who do you understand that? Like, who are some defenders that you liked on the film? So on film, I liked T.J. Edwards. I thought he was all over the place. It was so funny because I expected to hate Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds has this god-awful missed tackle that I think everybody remembered against uh, Jimmy On Gibbs, Gibbs, on that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Outside okay. of that, I thought he looked quick and took away a decent amount of passing game. The biggest problem I had, man, is the Bears just kept calling cover three. Like, they called cover three nearly all game. They would rotate the hook curl defenders, the two defenders over the middle for everybody, and they yep. would just push them back like 10 yards deep. To where you had your two set, you had your two corners on the edges. You had your two hook curl defenders lined up with them. So that cover two line you always see, right? The five defenders basically ducks on a fence uh, or birds on a fence, like underneath at about five yards. They pushed it up to ten yards, and we're trying to cut off the lions' like interior stuff. And by the second half, the lions were pretty comfortable knowing where they could throw the ball, and the yep. bears unwillingness to pivot the coverage like they didn't run much cover four they didn't run much cover two they didn't run much cover one and when they did pivot to it most of the time they were successful and it created a good down so it was frustrating to me because I wanted to come out of this game stumping for Tyreek Stevenson but he didn't really do anything he didn't have to do anything he had a really nice run stuff he he walked a couple guys down the uh, line of scrimmage and covered them up that's great but Mm -hmm. Outside he he tackled Gibbs on that uh, screen pass or he would have scored. Right. 
Exactly. So there's there's some stuff that went well for a lot of these guys, but mm-hmm. for a game where Tyreek Stevenson, you know, PFF's going to post that like 25 passer rating against zero yeah. yards given up in coverage. I wanted more than, yeah, they just didn't throw outside. <laughs> no, well, they didn't need to because, I mean, their offense is Laporta and, and Amon Ross St. Brown. And, and in my mind, like, if you, like, everyone knows that. So bracket St. Brown, like, literally, if, if, if Laporta had a hundred yards and the rest of the receivers had another 150 yards and you lost and St. Brown got shut out, I'd be like, okay, cool. Like think of like basketball, like box and one Gordon, you just follow him everywhere and play whatever coverage you want else. I'd be okay with, but he scored a touchdown. Anytime they needed a crucial third down, he ran an option route. Like he did whatever he wanted the whole game. Oh yeah. And they let him like the bears were willing to just try to make the lions make 11 plays all the way down the field. And hey, if we wanted to kudos or if we wanted to tip our cap a little in a sense of fairness, the Lions could not muster 11 plays in a row early in the game. I mean, this was a snake bite day for nothing exemplified it better than Jaquan Brisker truly accidentally bumping into Sam Laporta (laughs) on a snap where the Bears had also schemed up a blitz that I don't know if you saw this. The Bears figured something out with the way that the Lions were identifying protections because they got their Mike linebacker, or maybe it's the Will. It's honestly, they they switch them, I swear. Yeah, they switch them. uh, However, that all line identifies it. They got TJ Edwards and Jack Sanborn home free on like seven blitzes. I mean, yeah, I saw multiple, yeah. with, With guys on the other side of the line that were double teaming somebody. So mm-hmm. they would go five on five blitz and they would get somebody free, which is just if, if I was if I was talking about the bear or the Lions, if this was a Lions podcast, I'd say, how do we let the Bears do this to us? Like yep. this created so much unnecessary pressure. And I'm really interested to see how the Vikings respond to it, because now that's on tape. Like now mm-hmm. Matt Eberflus, you know, putting on his Mike Zimmer costume for Halloween and uh, walking into like and using a lot of the elements of sim pressures and other things that come from there. Like now that's on tape. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see what teams do against it because the bears on the back end didn't do anything super neat. I guess they had the, this uh, like single high safety cutoff crossers, but I don't know. Like you're saying, it, it's not as if I'm looking at the, the defensive players and saying, man, everybody played so well. It's more mm-hmm. like, the defensive line played better than they nearly ever have. We got some contributions from a little bit of everybody. That unit is feeling themselves. Dickens too. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Ngakwe is terrible, but yeah. um, Yeah. Everyone I think had some flashes. I mean, I even saw on coverage. I mean, what you talked about Edmonds, I mean, Edwards too, like they cut off things. They cover a lot of area there. Um, I think Eddie Jackson had a pretty poor game. Um, He, I mean, I want to put that touchdown to Williams on him. Uh, There are a few other plays. I think that he, didn't do as well on um, Jalen Johnson didn't have his best game either. No. Um, there are a few things he could have done differently, but um, I mean, in the end, I mean, the lions, they're a really good offense, everybody, oh, you yeah. know? And so like, like that's part of it is that when your D line has some flashes and your defense has some flashes against a really good unit, it's, it's positive. It's just to me, like, I, I want to be excited about something defensively after that whole performance. And I just, <laughs> I can't, I can't because like, even, like, why is Montez Sweat playing what sixty percent of the snaps and oh, Ada okay, Hutchinson? That one I can 94%. actually. I'm. You're not going to believe this, but I can vouch for that one. Why is Dylan Cole getting reps at Mike linebacker? I couldn't tell you. Why are we re- rotating Mike linebackers? I don't know. 
Why are we rotating Terrell Smith and Tyreek Stevenson? No idea. Montez Sweat never played more than about 70% of snaps at Washington either. Hmm. He may just be a big dude that needs rest because Chase Young would play the whole game. Montez Sweat would come out, I'd say, one out of every three drives. And so Matt Eberflus might actually just be covering for his guy in saying, like, we're platooning him so that he doesn't have to say he's 6'6 and huge frame. It takes a ton of like, think physics, right? It takes jewels, mega jewels of energy to move that body, right? And he tires. It would not surprise me. But I don't know if everybody's going to love that answer. (laughs) I mean, it's it's quite obvious when he was not in the game because Nagakwe would just get launched and run fits. Um, Rasheem Green played terrible again. Like like, you want to think about this offseason. I know people want to be excited about, you know, they could sign Brian Burns or any free agent DN. I mean, they're probably not going to be there, but I always think of like when I go in my mock draft simulator, Robert, you know? Oh yeah. I'm getting at least two edges and before the end of day two is done because like we need edge help more than we need interior D line help. And I still would like another D line interior guy. I think they're going to have to figure out what Dexter's going to do. Uh, just because as Dexter's getting faster and faster as a pass rusher, which is awesome. He also had a couple of moments where he got moved with a capital M at the point of attack, which we would have expected him to be a little better about. But at the same time, he's a week 11 rookie. You know me. I think rookies get the entire year to just learn. The moment you have to start Mm -hmm. counting on rookies and emphasis on the word have to, not they prove themselves, therefore we trust them. But the moment that you say Justin Jones is really hit and miss. So we're going to play Gervin Dexter because we think he can create some pressure for us. And then you mm-hmm. get smoked at the point of attack. Like we would love to see better if we cared about winning. But right now, I don't know, man. It's well, and, it's and, such and a complicated that- balance because like if you told me that the Bears had gotten blown out, I'm actually not as down about the like the coaching staff and the team. I mean, I still don't love the staff, right? But this was a game that from a coaching perspective, you just can't make a habit of blowing 98% chances to win, according no. to ESPN analytics. Like, I mean, that is a really anyone. scary thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just going back to D-line, though, Pickens had some nice moments at 3-tech, which is what we talked about, the position he should play. And, <laughs> right. and Dexter, What's yeah, new? Like, like it, just like make it make sense. If you told me that the Bears are having issues getting Pickens reps at three tech specifically because they're like three tech is such an important position, I'll let you have it. But Pickens's first step is really impressive. It keeps showing up. Like mm-hmm. we talked, to, I, maybe you remember this when Jonathan Bullard got drafted, but people couldn't figure out whether he was an outstanding snap jumper or whether he had a really good first step. And we find out later, he just got the snap counts <laughs> and ran with it because yep. his first step in in Chicago was just nothing special, right? Mm-hmm. Zach Pickens continues to make plays because he is up and moving a f- half second faster than anybody else. And we love that. That's Bilal Nichols' whole career, like mm-hmm. in, yep. honestly, ever. And which, then- which, Sorry, which, which honestly, like if you think of like, if, if you put him at three tech and they're stuck on putting Dexter at this three tech, to me, it might make sense. Like you get another one tech behind Billings, you know, and then you're pretty set on the interior. That could be a vet. That could be, you know, Chris Jenkins. I get excited about for Michigan, be. like one of those stout guys. So one thing I've been thinking about, I just want to throw this at you and see what you think. This is me speaking to Nick, the coach, right? Yep. Are we being set in our ways when we talk about what the three tech is? Because the modern NFL, I'm sure you've seen this. 
Braxton's getting more favorable matchups than Darnell Wright is. Somehow, all of the good pass rushers are on the right. We continue to talk about like how important the left tackle is, and it is, but somehow Nick Bosa, he plays on the right side. Aiden Hutchinson, he plays on the right side. Like Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack, he plays on the right side. I mean, you Daniel no, no, Hunter, no, no. Why is that? Did Daniel Hunter plays on the he right plays side? Plays on the right side, and it's because for years the good tackle was on the left, so you'd want to square up against the bad tackle. And exactly. so now with Darnell Wright on the right side, you wonder: is that the new premier pass pre- pass protection position? Because he's drawing all the tough matchups, so clearly mm-hmm. he's in the right spot. Rashad Gary plays on the right side. I mean, yep. you think it's fake, but you go through the schedule well, and it's well, all. So I, I, so I think it's two things. One. Um, just you're talking about like where are the mismatches? Like we talk about this too. Like why we like Kyler Gordon in the slot because you put where's their worst defender and we put our best player there and you're right. gonna obviously eat. Uh, that's part of it because right tackles are better in run blocking and not as good as pass blocking historically. historically. But then Lane Johnson, right, and some of these other ones. Like if you want basically to be a good passing offense, you need basically two left tackles. Is what they call it. But the other thing is this, Robert. Offenses. They're right-handed. More of your runs go to your right, but also as a quarterback, a lot of right-handed quarterbacks throwing to your right is way easier than your left because when when if you if you are on the video, you guys can see if I'm here and I have to throw left, it's tougher for me to see over my shoulder pad. I mean, shotgun's a little bit easier, but going back, it's way easier for me to throw to the right. And and no matter what, it's easier to throw to the right, even if you're right-handed, despite being able to look either way. So I think having your best pass rusher there, being able to have his hands in the face or get more right. pressure and he has to roll left, that that's advantageous for the defense. And taking this conversation about are we thinking about these things correctly? Because like you're talking about, there's real advantages to this. But we can get stuck in our ways on what the textbook told us when we were originally learning football or what your first coach taught you, right? Mm-hmm. As running ga- games get wider, as they start to get more horizontal and they don't really want to just jam things up the a gap anymore. Quick question, honest question in a standard overfront where you've got your three tech towards the strong side. Are you expecting your three tech to be a pass rusher, one gap run defender or in modern ball? Are you expecting him to have to eat a double team? Like has the, has the double team eater moved out in modern running games? Honest question. What do you think? No, I, I think so because here's the other part of it that you're talking about is that so like let's say you're like, hey, we have to put um we have to put Zach Pickens at the three tech and Billings at the one tech on this play to be successful. What do teams do? Then they shift motion trade, boom. Now all of a sudden Pickens has to be at the point of attack on a double team, and you're gonna just cut off Billings on the backside of a run. Like, like teams do that's why they motion and shift their tight ends and their right. receivers so much to make the run fits more advantageous for them. That's that's the whole point of it. That's right. why you see basketball drive, kick, drive, kick. Then you have a good matchup and right. you have a lane. Like, like coaches know what they're doing, and that's why they do it. So, in my opinion, yes, because you're gonna do that because your three tech can't hold up. And that way you can double team up to a backer on a stretch or an exactly. outside zone or whatever. Yep. And so I, you know. Far be it from me to uh, to cape for Matt Eberflus and the way that they're designing positions, but I, I can't help but wonder if they're almost trying to anticipate a shift towards three-tech becoming the point of attack a lot, and they're wanting a huge body like Gervon Dexter that okay. can still handle himself as a pass rusher from that position, but also doesn't necessarily get Justin Jones by default. Uh, when he is getting double blocked and combo blocked because the mm-hmm. more of those that he can hold up against, 
debatably the better on first and second down, even if you lose just an ooch of juice on third down. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I have yeah. no idea. Right? No, I, I mean, I think it's a, I mean, if you can be bigger and still be athletic, I think that's the, I mean, that's, that's a little why I'm shying away from Newton, the D tackle from Illinois. Everyone's oh. always touting him up. He's very nice, but he's on the smaller side. And I just don't know because what are offenses doing? Offenses are going back to this power run game more because defense has got so light that it was all this horizontal stuff. Yep. And I and I, I think that the, he won't hold up as much. I still like him as a player, but oh, people sure. are like, oh, get him at number five. I'm like, I can't take him at number five. Well, to me, I mean, everybody keeps skipping free agency. We always do this. And if you're going to talk quarterbacks, yeah, skip free agency. Don't sign Kirk Cousins. Every time I bring up signing Kirk Cousins, it is as a joke. That is like, <laughs> that is me saying basically like if you were going to, uh, long story short, Nick, in my opinion, if you were going to stick with Justin Fields next year, we're going to get into Justin Fields in just a second. And I am not some downy hater, right? But if you are going to stick with Justin Fields, I just think you need some kind of veteran that if things don't get better, because this is something you and I've probably not explicitly talked about with Baker Mayfield. You knew who he was after three years. You knew what he could do. You knew what he couldn't do. You had the nucleus and the core of a player that could run an offense. And what you were getting outside of that, like the creativity, the after play stuff, what or like what balls can you fit into windows that nobody else can? You didn't get more than your standard veteran quarterback, which is what made Baker so frustrating with with uh, Cleveland, if that makes sense. Like. Mm-hmm. You had a quarterback that basically played like a modern day normie vet quarterback, like the bench. Andy Dalton, right? Andy Dalton is a great, well, a worse, a worse version, but yeah. And so it, the Browns felt like they needed to move on because they were like, yep. "What are we going to do? Commit to Andy Dalton?" With Justin Fields, you've got this kid who is playing like A minus to A plus improv football. When you roll him out, when you get him outside the pocket, when he is on the move, he is electric. What we're Mm -hmm. getting from within the pocket is, in my opinion, still not quite there. Like there's Mm -hmm. just enough where I'm like, oh, that's it's becoming a habit. If we got a game like Sunday, because this is so important, right? If we got a game like Sunday after six weeks of Justin Fields balling, and hitting hitting strikes over the middle from the pocket, hitting dagger routes, hitting quick shots, like throwing the ball with a little bit of anticipation to spots over the middle so that guys could run with it after the fact. Then a game like Sunday, whatever, it's pretty good defense. Like yep. they had pressure in his face. We get over it. it. Some of this, to be honest, Nick, comes from overreacting because you see a bad habit and you go, that's still there. That's still there. Why is it still there? But also with Justin Fields next year, I can't help but think – you need to either, if you're not drafting a rookie quarterback, I think you need to bring in a floor quarterback that just, like, he's just going to be a veteran backup. He's just going to be a veteran backup. But if things go south, you feel like you yeah. can take this contending team and play hard with it, especially because the argument you would make to the public is, well, Fields gets hurt a lot. So we need a quarterback mm-hmm. that can step in and win us games because we don't know who's going to be the quarterback come playoff time. We hope it's Justin, but we can't say we know. I can't believe we're uh, like, we got off topic though. What I was trying to say. <laughs> well, hold on with that though. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, you're not, you wouldn't stick with Bajent assuming that he will progress. As your so Bajent ends up in a, a, a funky scenario because I would have absolutely expected us to stick with Bajent. I would have, but once you, once you're betting everything on fields who you've got, you've got all the magic outside mm-hmm. of 
the system quarterback piece and you want to see the seeds of your system quarterback just sprout a little just show that we've got the smallest flower that we can work with like within structure and then if you get that you barely you don't think you need a backup quarterback but if you don't because it's a big bet right the moment you pass on whatever pick you get you're you have to commit to fields i mean you're committing to the guy either way right like whether you're committing to a top two pick or you're committing to Justin Fields, you're making a commitment this year. You are either way. I mean, to to me, like the, that guy, ironically, Robert, you could bring Andy Dalton back because I think he's going to be a free agent. He'd be like a perfect guy who's a, a lot vet. Of sense. He could help lift the quarterback room. He could teach the young guys, and still you have this floor that you know he's not completely terrible if mm-hmm. there's an injury and he has to start for a prolonged time. I would literally see if I could try to trade Bajant for a sixth round pick or something like that. I mean, just just because I think that there's somebody out Man. there, I think there's somebody out there that values Bajan a lot, and maybe I keep three quarterbacks. It's possible, but I think the team moves in a different direction than we have a young backup rookie if you don't also have another young backup rookie, if that makes sense. Like, if we're going into contender mode. But anyways, yeah. all I was trying to say in this is that when people talk about Johnny Newton and others, like, we're skipping free agency. The defensive class in free agency is looking pretty good. And granted, mm-hmm. we don't know who's going to make it to free agency, but guys like Christian Wilkins, guys like Chris Jones, guys like Daniil Hunter, guys like Bryce Huff, guys like, I'm not going to mention Josh Allen, right? The, the Josh Allen as in Jack. He'll get franchise tagged to resign. Like there's plenty of these guys that we could look at. Uh, Zadarius oh Smith could play for his third NFC North team in like <laughs> four years. I mean, there are plenty of help that the Bears could sign yeah. at edge and defensive tackle that honestly has not been market available for mm-hmm. quite a little while. And if mm-hmm. you looked at these guys as one to two year solutions, I think you're going to get more out of them than you are going to get out of um, like drafting a kid. This it, well, we say this every year. Yep. We say this every year, Nick. You and people like you and me that love offense, that love being nerds, that see the value in offense are always trying to find an excuse to draft everybody on offense, right? Yep. But this is kind of the, the year for it. Like, no, it is. It is true. So, so here, here's a, a thought experiment with Justin Fields, okay? So, because I know we're going to get into him here, I'm sure, more. So, what quarterbacks, Robert? Yes. Okay, and this can be off the top of your head. And, and this, again, like people like, Robert has no idea this question's coming. No. So who knows how good this answer will be? What quarterbacks in the NFL are standalone? Like they're gonna they're they're the elite quarterbacks. They're gonna lift their offense, and it really doesn't matter as much the weapons around them. Who in your mind are those quarterbacks right now? So I'm a big believer that people are not cognizant of how much, how much teammates matter to quarterbacks. Like mm-hmm. we saw Jalen Hurts pop. He's on the Eagles. They are a phenomenal football team. I don't know if there's any better example than what we've seen with Brock Purdy and the 49ers. <laughs> and by the way, this is to take nothing away from these quarterbacks. If you put Dak Prescott on the Eagles, shockingly, I think he'd be better. <gasps> Would you believe it? Like if you yep. took Justin Herbert and you gave him receivers that can apparently all they need to do is catch in some of these <laughs> cases, they would still win more games. Like yep. what I'm building up to saying is that I would argue there's only, what, two guys that are truly independent of the system around them right now, and those are Mahomes and Josh Allen. 
And outside of that, I mean, I'm even including, because that's the thing. There are tons of people that if you have picked up on what I'm trying to say, that you would say, well, you're not talking, you mean Joe Burrow? And I'm like, yeah, I, I do. Like Joe Burrow, as good as he is, is absolutely at the mercy of who his weapons are. I'm not saying he would go into the Mac Jones tank, but for crying yep. out loud, he he's a kind of guy that's going to take eight to nine sacks at sometimes in a playoff game. And if mm-hmm. receivers aren't getting open, there's nothing he can do about it. Mahomes has this bizarre and silly wiggle. You swear his speed, like his foot speed, scales independently with what defender is trying to chase him because he's always one step faster than whoever that guy is weird it's It's, nonsense you're you're always waiting for him to get tackled but no so so that's that's exactly kind of my point here robert because so mahomes and and i just have just again basic stats everybody i'm not this isn't super well thought out but um so mahomes is only 0.5 quarterback rating better than justin fields right now on the year and we just watched him on monday night football he struggled because his receivers couldn't catch the ball I mean, multiple times, and that's frustrating. So you're like, well, wait till he gets a supporting cast. It's like, well, if he gets an extra supporting cast, right? who doesn't? You talked about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is 1.5 quarterback rating better than Justin Fields. Right. You have, you have Purdy at the at the top right now. Tua, people talk about him, and it's his weapons. Russ has had a little bit of a resurgence here. Dak Prescott, you mentioned, but I think he's got some solid guys there. Kirk Cousins, interestingly enough, is fifth. Lamar Jackson, I think he's got some guys Kirk around him was now. Balling this yep. year, like yep. Kirk and Goff are oh. two quarterbacks that well, Goff too. Everybody yep. decided who they thought they were, but these mm-hmm. guys are playing ball mm-hmm. because to yep. me that so to me the like ideal quarterback. This is just how where I am in my football journey. I'm so ready to be wrong. Like if, if things happen that disprove this, like I'm totally fine with this, and I will learn. Right. But it Mm -hmm. sure seems like you need a head coach that's a conductor and then you need your your quarterback to be your lead guitar who's going to mostly play what the conductor told you to do. Right. But then every once in a while, you're going to rip off a solo that's going to add to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of the best quarterbacks. And and maybe part of this is because of the too high revolution. Man, we are way off topic when it comes to Bears Vikings. No, this this is good. Whatever. Maybe part of it is because as the Bears or as teams have shifted towards too high, it bears Bears fan. If you're at least 10 years into watching football. You probably remember that throwing deep was the whole thing as recently as eight years ago. What happened? Teams were still moving out of this. Legion of Boom, Seattle, cover three base defense that was playing an absolute hot load of one high. And the best way to break that open was to break it open deep. Then Mahomes happened. You could argue Patrick Mahomes by himself shifted the league towards too high because if you weren't playing too high, Mahomes was going to cook you and you were going to end up with games just like we saw where the Chiefs and the Rams squared off in Mexico City and hung 50 points on each other. And defensive coordinators did not want that. So they started mm-hmm. playing these two high quarter shells and they, they Vic worked Fangio. Like, right. Vic Fangio happened. They started to work yep. to pretty decent effect and people have started to iterate since then. And now would you believe it? I mean, I'm sure you've seen it now that Fangio systems a step behind, like the defensive coordinators have been in the lab. They are coming up with some crazy stuff and mm-hmm. it is awesome to watch what our boy Sean Desai is doing in or like in Philadelphia, as mm-hmm. well as what guys like Brian Flores, there's all different ways to play defense. But what I'm trying to talk about is that as the league shifted towards one high, guess what came back? Dink and dunk. Like yep. the boring stuff 
that people that we grew up making fun of suddenly guys like Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins that will hit the back of their drop and fearlessly throw a ball into a tight window in the intermediate are gashing defenses because bleeding your way down the field is the new hotness. It's at the very least it's meta, right? It's working. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting watching this realm of quarterbacking because your ability to play in structure is probably more important than ever right now, right? Like if Justin Fields was drafted in 2011, do we really have any concerns about whether or not he would have been successful? Because Well, I'm going to debate you. I don't know that you have to play in structure as much because if there is too high, there's minus one in the run game if yes. you're a quarterback run. And that's the other thing of why Kyle Shanahan wanted Trey Lance. And that's why these running totally. quarterbacks have more lanes because if it's too high – you it's easier with underneath you could buy time and still dump there's less blitzes that you'll see that's what made it so frustrating at the second half of that game when detroit was literally one high the whole time and all they did was run it's like make make, yeah make fields have some positive at least looks or chances to throw the football when you have advantageous situations and that's that's kind of what i'm leaning into so like with all this robert i there's two scenarios. We already talked about this. You keep fields. You don't keep fields. Right. But I have this, this one that just is so juicy to me that bears fans. They argued, they didn't like this one. Okay. You, you trade out of one they didn't like you this one? To, to three or five. Yes. Yes. You saw it, right? No, I don't know if I did. What are you about to tell me? <laughs> so, 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 so again, it's, it's lucky because Marvin Harrison falls to number four. So we trade down from one to five. Okay. And you get whatever else. But you double up and you go Harrison Jr. and you go Brock Bowers. And people are like, we have a tight end. Have you seen Brock Bowers, by the way? Like, this isn't just a – this is a weapon. And this is a guy that is literally, the I would say, the best tight end prospect I've probably seen. He's Mark Andrews at at a minimum, I think. And so if you loaded up the amount of weapons that you have, it almost doesn't matter your quarterback because, like – because you're going to have separation. You're going to have plays made one-on-one. You're going to have right. contested catches made. You're going to have everything. The floor is going to be so high and that they're going to be cheap. I mean, DJ Moore, you'll have to pay here sometime soon. But you'll have the, all these weapons around and Cole Komet's locked up. These other two guys are locked up for five years. That if, if Fields is where he's at right now, middle-of-the-range quarterback, he'll be upper-middle to lower-elite tier and you have the run aspect. What do okay. you think? Okay, so let's talk about this. Because I mm-hmm. love the idea. Adding weapons to the team, never a problem. I, I have a bit of a bone to pick with taking Brock Bowers really high because I don't trust offensive coordinators to use him worth that value. It's the same problem with Jameer Gibbs getting taken as high as he is, right? Yeah. It's, it's also the same problem I have with nearly any super-duper high safety selection because as much as I love Jalen Petrie, The moment that you take him 34, you better hope that teams know how to use him. And then you get a player who's Gumby, he can do anything, and he makes that pick look like it was just perfect in Houston. But that's always a risk, right? Mm -hmm. But the main thing I want to focus on here actually is, okay, so if we were were going to uh, like talk about the quarterback in terms of basketball, do you believe Justin Fields is a point guard? No. I think he's a shooting guard. Yes. Like and and that's great, but loading up weapons around a quarterback that calls his own number so often 
Do you feel like that's efficient? Well, I think it is because of this. We know that he's not going to throw into tight windows. Right. So he needs bigger windows. And yes. if you have better weapons, this is way better for him than it is if you just have Byron Pringle and whomever else out there. Yes. But if Fields was a 3,400-yard quarterback for the rest of his career, right, mm -hmm. and you drafted Marvin Harrison Jr., and he becomes an 800-yard-a-year receiver just off of volume, DJ Moore's volume never goes down. He, become, he stays a 1,200 to 1,300-yard receiver. And Brock Bowers becomes a 600-yard tight end because he just doesn't get the ball that often and Fields scrambles continuously, like into the future. Do you feel like you got what you needed for that? Does this make sense? I, like, if, if this is the scenario, I feel like the Bears are winning. You would hope. <laughs> right now, they're pulling losses out of wins. Like, I know, but I'm just saying in that scenario, you're you're probably threatening the defense so much that there's easily yard runs, plays, right. and scrambles that are there because they're like, we can't let these guys beat them over the top. Now, again, every player can bust. I'm not saying that these guys yeah, totally. can't not hit. But also, a quarterback you draft could not hit as soon as we've seen before. So like, that's why you have to weigh both. The to me, like I, I just look, look at Purdy. I look at Tua. I look at some of these oh, situations, yeah. and I'm like, Goff, if you have all these weapons around them, you could have so many different guys succeed. But you just named three of the point guardiest quarterbacks in football right now. Mm -hmm. And to me, when you stack weapons around a point guard, then the team sings an ensemble song, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas when you give Jalen Hurts, who I think plays like a little bit of a shooting guard, like yep. Jalen Hurts will call his own number. So how many weapons do you give him? Three, just three. And most of the yep. time you're only going to use two depending mm -hmm. on what like you're doing on or depending on how the offense is going to try to attack the opponent across from them. It's not to take away from anybody. It's more to say that you're either going to play two man games with AJ Brown and uh, Devonte Smith, or you're going to play two man games with Dallas Goddard and AJ Brown. Yep. Right. Yep. And then if you don't, AJ Brown's going to throw a fit and get his way back into the game. <laughs> I digress. Yeah. I think Nick, the argument that I'm trying to make is when I watch this bears team, especially on games like Sunday, I have a hard time saying that there is a cast issue around Justin Fields. I mean, we saw Equinemius St. Brown separate on a post. We saw mm -hmm. Darnell Mooney create separation over the middle. We saw DJ Moore seemingly get open at will. Did you ever see DJ Moore get stacked? I didn't see DJ Moore get stacked. No, you no, know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking like, if you want to take this team to the next level, totally. to me, like that, it's more, because like your other alternative is, People are like, go left tackle. And I'm like, I think Braxton Jones has earned. Oh, yeah. I mean, another year left tackle. And like, I think that's too high for edge. So you can either move down more. But to me, like, even if, let's say Fields doesn't make it and you surround all those guys, Tyson Bajan, I think, would be very successful. Uh, oh, I think Tyson Bajan is pretty point guardy. So yeah, I'm right there yeah. with you. And again, See, that's what this isn't to get too obsessed with point guard, shooting guard. It's not that simple. In Fields' case, one thing that kind of, kind of scares me, Nick, is Justin Fields comes off of seven or five weeks rest, right? And so he hasn't taken hits for four or five weeks. And he looks crazy fresh. He looks as athletic mm -hmm. as we have ever seen him. And that yeah. is awesome. Would we have looked this fresh if we hadn't gotten hurt and instead we had just been piling hits up week after week? I'm not trying to pick at this too hard. I'm more trying to say we saw we saw the best version of Justin Fields. This to me was the Justin Fields we sold everybody on for an entire offseason. 
When we mm-hmm. got passionate about this Bears team going nine and eight early in the season, it was yep. with this Justin Fields. But sustainability has to be a question, right? Yes, 18 totes is a lot of totes. And we mm-hmm. avoided 12 some odd hits in those 18 totes. But it means yep. we didn't get away from six of them. And I I can't help but wonder, because Tom Brady obviously did that thing where he called the league bad, uh, which is unsurprising because it used to be that you could practice your guys to death and now you can't. Right. Yep. Un- unsurprisingly, this has led to bad habits. But also, Tom was electric at protecting himself. He played to 44 because he nearly never took a hit. With Justin Fields, I, I can't help worrying. And worry is the big word. Like, how does this game progress? Especially now that Minnesota knows that we're reprising the 2022 offense. What happens next? And mm-hmm. I wrote on our sheet that to me, this game is darn near all the marbles for fields because is. he is edging his way back into the conversation. I think even the most ardent cynic can agree that this was a really strong game of Justin Fields doing Justin Fields things. And let's put it this way, Nick, in the eyes of 31 other GMs, this is how you make a trade value argument. Like mm-hmm. you show off this version of Justin Fields and you say, look, the kid can play and the offense is productive because of it. Were there was there meat on the bone? As I've said a couple times, sure. Yes. Are there things that because the Bears have a number one pick, I'm going to pick at? Yes. But if the Bears had the fifth pick and only the fifth pick, Nick, I would not be taking this position because nope. there wouldn't be a road to better. Like this would be mm-hmm. fine. Yep. I would argue Justin Fields is a definitive win with quarterback. Right yep. now, it's a very different win with than a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL, but mm-hmm. we're not winning in spite of with Justin Fields, right? We're right. just doing specific things. But man, this this Minnesota defense ate Fields alive. And if yep. you try to protect with eight guys, they will find a way to bring nine. Brian Flores mm-hmm. does not care, and he <laughs> is going to get a plus one blitz. He's going to get as many plus one blitzes as he can. And I want to know how Fields is ready to handle it. Here's a funny note. Did you catch that on about half of the first quarter dro- or the first half dropbacks, Fields' footwork looked much faster? Like it, did. it didn't I, look so relaxed. It was I, I, if, almost, yeah. I almost wonder, Robert, based on like how, how juicy he was, like athleticism wise, and how his drops were. I almost wonder if he was dealing with something early in the season. He runs so much, it would be weird if he wasn't. Does that make sense? Like, with Justin Herbert, let's use this as an example. With Justin Herbert, he can have broken ribs, and he can have a major bruise on his left calf, and you may not notice. Because the way he plays is so pocket heavy that as long as he gets decent protection, steps up in the pocket, and continues to sprocket the ball all over the place, you won't recognize that he's playing hurt because it just won't come into play fields needs his whole body to your point like if he tweaked his ankle you're not going to put it in the injury report but it might slow you down and we did wonder earlier like why does he look so slow right and the weeks of rest sure looked like they helped him but as we go nick to build a team that's going to win in the playoffs right does a quarterback that degrades if that's what we end up with is that, is that a winning proposition? I don't know. I'm begging yeah. the questions. I am not pretending to have the answers, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't yeah. know either because I think there's many ways to, to go about this. So I many. just think that I think that so many people are just locked into 
have to get a Patrick Mahomes quarterback, then everything else is just going to be all right. And I'm like, that's just not how it's going to work in, in the real NFL. Because uh, there's so many ways that people are winning, including, I think we have to have a little conversation about the quarterback we're going to play on Monday, Josh Dobbs, which is oh man, such a unique, unique journey he has. So I'm only going to highlight his NFL journey here. Okay. And I'll try to go through this quickly, everybody, but I, I want you to know and maybe appreciate Josh Dobbs a little bit more, even if he is the opposing quarterback. So 2017 comes out of Tennessee. He's a fourth round pick for Pittsburgh. Two years later, he gets traded to Jacksonville for a fifth round pick in 2019 after he lost his backup job to Mason Rudolph. Cut by Jacksonville in 2020. So only there for one year. Claimed by Pittsburgh in 2020. Gets put on IR by Pittsburgh in 2021. Then signs as a free agent to Cleveland in 2022. Backs up uh, Jacoby Brissett when they're dealing with the Watson suspension. He gets waived after Watson comes back from his suspension. Detroit puts him on practice squad. Then he goes to Cleveland, signs on their active roster. Or I'm sorry, goes to Tennessee, signs on their active roster for 2022. Then a free agent again. Signs back with Cleveland. Okay, He's been there before. And he's backing up Watson. Then on August 24th of this year, gets traded to Arizona, starts his first game September 20th or September 10th. Okay, not long to learn the offense and start. He upset and beat Dallas. Okay, that's one win there. Then he's there for, you know, obviously two months. Traded to Minnesota on Halloween, October 31st, and then had to play because Jaron Hall got hurt on September 5th. Like Crazy. Five and a half days later, six days later. And leads them to a win. So his his numbers when he's been in Minnesota, I think is important because it could be different offenses, obviously, than, than Arizona. He's averaging 66% completion percentage, uh, 216 passing yards a game. Um, he has four touchdowns total, one interception. He's averaging eight rushing attempts for 44 rushing yards a game, three rushing touchdowns. He has six sacks in those three games two and a half games ish, and then six total fumbles too. So he is a very athletic guy. We're going to see very, very different than what we just saw Jared Goff. Um, but uh, I think it's just a fun story of a guy that's had a lot of resiliency, having to learn offenses and he keeps kind of pushing through and he's having some success this year. It is the most NFL story that you'll see just about, right? It's like Raheem Mostert. Mm -hmm. And I mean, another yep. piece to this, when you look at Dobbs that I think applies to the bears too, is there are a lot of teams that do not have room on their roster for developmental projects. I mean, there are 30, probably what, 28, nine, because there, we, we would love to say 31. There are always three or four really awful teams, but there are about 29 teams that Dominique Robinson never would have started a whole year for, right? Mm -hmm. There are probably 30 teams that Kyler Gordon does not get to just sit in the nickel and lose for an entire mm -hmm. season before yep. figuring things out. Even Tyreek Stevenson. I tend to think Tyreek would have found his way onto the field because I like him, and I think with better coaching, they might have set him up in better spots to succeed. But you can't eat the L's that he's eaten without potentially getting pulled. And for crying yep. out loud, they're putting in Terrell Smith, which is a whole separate story. We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> it it's it, Just because, to me, the other problem with Terrell Smith is he's clearly not fast enough to play outside corner, at least when you just sit him in an off zone, he needs safety help desperately out there. Mm -hmm. But so many people see Smith go in the game and the offense just not target him that they're like, 
Terrell Smith kind of rules. And I'm like, yeah. Terrell Smith is fine. <laughs> but at the yep. moment he starts eating targets, because NFL teams will just target the guy they want to. Anyways, I'm off track. The point is that Josh Dobbs <laughs> has had these up, op- he's gotten opportunity. Yep. And now that he's winning games, he's going to get more opportunity. He ends mm-hmm. up getting trade. The reason he's in Minnesota, the reason he's enjoying success is because a team traded for him so that they could pretend they were trying. Right? Like the Cardinals in the wake of Kyler Murray. And yep. they they just traded for somebody that let them pretend that they were actually gunning for it in the wake of Kyler Murray's injury. And they traded for him as late as possible so that he would have as late as start as possible. And then he goes out and beats the Cowboys and shows that he can run a little bit. Now he's playing like a certain somebody uh, under center for Chicago. And it should be a really new age football game. Looking at the two of them doing it with their arm, doing it with their legs. And Mm -hmm. the Vikings still don't have Justin Jefferson. So the Bears, I'm really curious how the Vikings are going to go about attacking a Bears defense that's definitely got more teeth than it did last uh, last time they met because Montez Sweat is back and plenty of the players are healthy. But I'm so interested to see how this game plays out. You got to feel like, I know Bears fans are going to find this hard to believe, but with six games left and the Bears now showing that they have the talent to bow up with uh, a 7-2 and two Lions team, you got to think that this is Matt Eberflus's chance to get a foot back in the door for 2024, whether we like it or not. But you lose this game, and then you stew on, wow, we just lost to the Lions, and then we lost in prime time to the, to the Vikings. You stew on that for two weeks over the bye, and you come out against the Lions and you lose again. You're 0-11 in your division. You yep. have to think at that point, your walking papers are all but signed. Yep. Yep. No, I agree with you. I mean, this is, this is, this is such a huge game. Also, you talked about this, you talk about the resiliency of Josh Dobbs. We're going to learn something about Justin Fields, his resiliency to bounce back against Minnesota, against All this the team. models. I mean, Luke Getze, his resiliency. I mean, are they going to set him up so they actually have hots, you know, cause there are times in that game. I didn't think they had hots. So uh, just previewing my, my classic preview here of the Vikings mm-hmm. offense. Now, again, this is tough because, as you said, Robert, they some of those games they had Kirk Cousins. Some of those games they had Justin Jefferson. So yep. that way it's tough to kind of just define their offense. But they're the 11th best offense in the NFL, 8th in passing, 26th in rushing. They are a bad rushing team, everybody. I saw a stat. Alexander Madison, I think, had – it was 10 runs inside the 10 or something like that. He had negative 5 yards. Like, he is not a good – rusher i don't think at all but also definitely when he gets near the goal line in points per game they're 12th 13th and red and um third down percentage 19th in red zone production again that's converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns um and then the defense they are 12th best which is shocking to me to me like the, def- the how they've done with the talent they have is like kudos kudos to brian flores it's, outst- it's one of the best coordinating jobs I-, I want there to be a coordinator of the year Really badly. Like, we do Coach of the Year, and the Coach of the Year award, frankly, doesn't even get voted on well because we just take the team that we thought was going to be bad, and and whoever ends up with the best record off of the team we thought was going to be bad, we hand them the award. Matt Uh, Nagy. Matt Nagy, exactly. Brian Dable. How's Brian Dable doing now? I mean, like, yeah. Um, Hey, he just won a game with Tommy DeVito. So (laughs) there is, like, I mean, look, Nick, if we were Giants guys, you and I would be saying, what's Brian supposed to do? He doesn't have a viable receiver. He doesn't have nearly any viable lineman now that Andrew Thomas keeps going down. 
And Daniel Jones is really struggling on account of it. Like Danny doesn't have support, but even he's struggling when things are open. What's a coach supposed to do? We didn't give him anything. Coach of the year, man. I mean, it's, there's a whole conversation. Anyways, I won't tangent off of that. All right. All right. All right. Back to defense. So 12th best defense, 22nd in pressure percentage, which again, we talked about this last time we had this. They, they don't get home, but they are first in blitz percentage by a margin, everybody. They blitz 47.4% of the time. Second highest blitz rate is 40.1. They are 7.3% higher than even the second highest blitzing percentage team, which is massive. Uh, 19th in the pass defense, that's how you beat the team that blitzes. They're fourth in rush defense, 25th on third down percentage, which is also not good. No. 16th in red zone percentage and 15th in points per game. Interesting here that Minnesota, when they started the season, they struggled a bit. Three of their first five opponents had 21 or more points. The last six opponents, only one has scored more than 21 points. Mm-hmm. So the to me, working. They, they, they're, they're improving. But this is the, the second time you play somebody, Robert, it's different. Yep. And so if the Bears don't have answers for this one, like you were talking about, even, this is big for Eberflus. If the Bears don't have answers for the blitz the second time you play them, then then Luke Getze, you're done. Like you get to break how, out the word unacceptable. At how that can point? you not figure that out? I mean, it's neglect. I mean, like you you're not doing your job. And hey, do your job. You have to give so much credit. So my favorite stat in here because it's the most interesting one, right? How is the team that's first in blitz percentage at nearly half? Nearly half of their plays being blitzes, 19 or what is that, 22nd in pressure percentage. It's related because the Vikings are so willing to show you that they're sending guys. Most offenses will pivot to some kind of short throw audible that gets the ball out very fast and mm-hmm. does not allow for a pressure. But so many of these, these plays, Nick, like a quick throw to the flat off of a spear screen that then the Lions DB jumps in front of and smokes the back for a loss of one or a gain of none, right? That is not a pressure, but it's a huge win for the defense. Their defensive identity. Hey, we want offenses that dictate the terms of the defense. This is a defense that with nearly no talent on this defense is dictating the terms to the offense. You got to respect it, right? And and to, to me, like what I'm envisioning is, on third down when Fields saw that pressure and Tevin Jenkins blocked two guys, which mm-hmm. was an amazing job, but he tried that and he was mm-hmm. somewhat successful because you're not going to just stop two guys. And Fields throws it to DJ Moore and he hops on his one leg and then gets free and gets the first down. It was a great play. We need to see more of that. And, and also, for the love of everything, can we move the pocket this game, Robert? Do you think maybe if they're going to be blitzing and they think Fields is going to be here, maybe he rolls out, maybe you have some of that whatever action going on, but move your quarterback so that way they think he's going to be here and the blitz goes there. Then all of a sudden he has only to face one guy out here with pressure. You got to think they got they're going to try, right? I mean, you have to think they're going to try. It sure helped that the Bears – one thing that seems like it's really struggling is that you would argue that both Getze and Fields fade really hard as the game goes on right now. Like, mm-hmm. it's totally just me coming – like, talking about this off the top of my head. Stata- statistics may not back this up. But at the early phase of the game, the Bears did not run pretty much any drop back that didn't involve play action. And then as the game wore on, you started to see more and more and more – let's call them normie plays 
right? And it doesn't help anything that they rolled out to their left at one point. I don't know why they're quite so obsessed with rolling Justin Fields out to like the left side. He must be, he must like it. He must, because they do it all the time. But they keep rolling Justin Fields out to his left and Brian Branch almost jumps a route to DJ Moore that should be textbook categorically open, but it wasn't because they'd run one too many bootlegs. And then it was as if Luke Getze said, all right, that's enough of that, and put the bootlegs in the trash, because we really didn't see him again for mm-hmm. nearly the rest of the game. And yep. well, like, like, yeah. Well, leaning into that, Robert, I, I wrote down here all of the passing um, down in distances against Detroit that mm-hmm. Chicago had. First half, I counted nine, and I'll just call them advantageous downs to pass on. So it's when you think it's probably going to be a run or it's first down or it's I have second goal from the one when they threw it and Tunyon got the Cinderella flag, whatever that was. I mean, right. yeah, you had also, there was nine of them in the first half. Second half, there was five. So almost two times the amount of advantageous downs to throw. And that's when the play action is going to work well. That's when the defense doesn't know if it's run or pass. That way you're going to have better personnel packages, et cetera. So really, again, even when you're throwing the ball, it's not as advantageous in the second half. So that's Getsy more than Fields. It sure feels that way. And hey, we saw minor improvements from Fields. We saw Fields step up in the pocket for maybe the first time I've just about ever seen it in his career and mm-hmm. reset his footwork in that. We saw Fields get the ball out on plays that would have been just ugly sacks. Like one thing that I think is weird to talk about, Nick, is it's like Fields has clearly improved as the season has worn on. The field started like the Tampa Bay game. Don't go back and rewatch it unless you've got like a beverage with you because it is (laughs) hard to get through. That can't, that can't happen. It hasn't. We didn't see it the same way for the rest of the year. The fact that we saw it at all is not something I think anybody wants to see again, but Mm. it's, I don't know. I'm really interested to see what happens when this stuff comes or like when the blitzes come, because I'll tell you what, I thought the bears offensive line played fabulously i thought there were some plays looking back when i saw it again where i was like the bears line played so well that you almost wonder could we have gotten more juice out of this offense from a passing perspective but to your point maybe that's maybe that's as much getsy as it is fields i keep trying to operate nick off of what i'm calling the 40 40 20 chart which is nearly any time if possible I'm going to try to just assign 40% of the blame to the quarterback, 40% of the blame to the offensive coordinator. And then I have like a 20% give where it's like, we're going to put a little more on the coordinator. We're going to put a little more on the quarterback, depending on where it is. Just because Mm -hmm. to your point, Nick, we will never, ever know. We will never, ever know who who drove what action. So Mm -mm. you just kind of have to keep thinking, well, both. And I'll tell you what, I don't know who would do the job. We're losing enough coaches as it is just due to (laughs) HR violations. But if we could see this offense with a different offensive coordinator, if we get desperate in our evaluation of fields, that would probably be helpful just to try to eliminate one more variable before. I, I think you'd probably agree with this. The Bears at the moment. And especially if the Panthers lose to the Titans, that is must must. That is appointment viewing for every Bears fan. If the Panthers lose to the Titans, the Panthers are home free on not even the number two pick, the number one pick, because I don't know if you feel this way. I think the Cardinals win this weekend. Well, well, hold on. I I got one other thing about. Yeah, you're right. We're not supposed to get into the the draft. All all this to say, if Justin Fields eats four sacks 
<laughs> in in a game against a Vikings team that is going to pl- like plainly bring pressure yep. and the Bears lose, it is going to be hell on Twitter. Like mm-hmm. it was hell enough. I thought Fields did plenty. I thought the Fields that when I keep saying meat on the bone, I'm talking as an evaluator. As a coach, Fields did enough. That is not Fields' fault. It was never Fields' fault. Mm-hmm. Fields did plenty. Fields gave what was it? Fields gave Tyler Scott a chance at the end of the game to go win it for him. Like, I mean, I mean, if he catches that, just imagine how differently everyone would use it. Like, wow, what a clutch pass! What a clutch he took pass. a chance deep. He put it on it, sealed the game. The Bears out of a position where they we would have even said like, you know, I really thought the Bears were going to lose it, but then Justin Fields mm-hmm. made the play, and it would feel very Washington, wouldn't it? It would be yeah. like, oh yeah, he took exactly. a risk and he converted on it yep. because he's a stud. Now, but- now one thing, one thing that's interesting, Robert, and we talked about this, I believe, early in the season when we got some success uh, against Denver, is Justin Fields' rookie year, second year, and third year all stumbled out of the gates, and then, and then we've had success the rest of the season. There's, there's been clear jumps in his performance, and whether that's him, whether that's him getting used to you know, not preseason, didn't play enough, et cetera. But now even looking at this game and then you add in, I mean, there's obviously five weeks in between there. His last three of his last four games, he has above a hundred quarterback passer rating. So, I mean, again, that's what he needs to sustain. And so this is a huge game for him as well. Like, like he sustains that then, then it's cool. Yeah. We'll trade out. We're going to load up this team and we're going to go. Right. The, the book needs to not be out on Justin Fields. There are ways that you can confuse Mahomes. There are ways that you can get after Jalen Hurts, but they will get you back enough times when you try to play to their weakness. Okay, best example I can think of is back when the shift was super legal, like any shift was legal Mm -hmm. in baseball, you'd have some hitters where they would play like the shortstop where second base was. They'd play the second baseman basically out in the outfield between the first baseman. You get it, right? Uh, And if those hitters could just hit a few dribblers down the third baseline, then you would get guys to unshift uh, like on you because you'd punish the shift. You would beat the shift with any consistency. You see the same with guys like Josh Allen, where there are ways to get him to turn the ball over. But if he gets you back enough times on those coverages, then you don't you didn't get enough bang for your buck to justify what you heard mm-hmm. the risks that you're taking with yep. fields. If the blitz is a kryptonite, and I got to be honest, with a starting offensive line playing the way the Bears is, I don't even know if we're going to get like a great view of this because I thought Tevin Jenkins was stellar. I thought Mm -hmm. Darnell Wright was so far above expectation. It is remarkable how long he was able to hold. Not what PFF thinks, but I mean, film-wise, I was like... a great pass pass blocking grade. They docked him for run blocking. Like they gave him a 70 as a pass blocker, which given how bad that last snap was, that's pretty good. And you know, they got against Hutch. What? And you're going against Hutchinson. Like, what are we talking about? Like, like he's, he's playing some of the best guys with one arm. I mean, he was a little more healthy. I think this game, but still, it's still not a hundred percent. No. And so you look at this Minnesota team and if they just get damned up, like if they if they can't generate these free rushers because Tevin Jenkins is going to keep taking two, then like I have no idea what Minnesota is going to do. I really yeah. don't because to me I would call that a perfect supporting cast performance. That's not that's not what Justin Fields needs. That's what any NFL quarterback 
like mm. dreams of at night. Jared Goff has what we would have expected to be a better offensive line, went up against what we thought would be a worse defensive line, and had to deal with hell back there because that's life in the NFL. D linemen yeah. are good. You don't well, get to let them make three moves. Yeah. Well, and 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 you add in that you know Minnesota's going to blitz and their their run defense is fourth. So to me, like there's going to be the opportunities to throw. And so I think that's like going to be the big thing is like this is going to be kind of a make or break game for a lot of people. This is a huge game. Um, I'm okay shifting to NFL draft order. Are you cool with, cool with that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So so just rest of the season here. So you talked about big tank games. You just said Carolina at Tennessee. So Carolina has one win. Tennessee has three wins, and that is big because you look at Carolina's schedule. I mean, they play. Tampa twice, they play Jacksonville, Green Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans. Um, four of those games are on the road. I mean, I think this is the most winnable game that they have. Um, Green Bay would be the next one, but I'm not going to really jab them as much here. Um, there are other two other games I think that are huge for the the tank, right? Big tank games. Two and eight New England traveling to three and eight New York Giants. Go get them, Pats. Week. Go get them. That's big because I, I don't know who I'm cheering for in that game because, Patriots. because well, the Patriots have um, the Jets still on their schedule, Chargers, Pittsburgh. I mean, Denver, if you want to throw them in there, they're playing better. But then you have the, the Giants have the Packers, New Orleans, and Rams. So, yeah, maybe Patriots. The, that one? To me, the other piece is that I am, I am so burdened the hand about these. Like, okay. I know you heard, like, as soon as the Packers record started to dip, 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 dip. What I have been waiting for, Nick, so in my opinion, to go all the way back to the tinfoil hat days, right? Yeah. I still believe that the Bears, as much as they have been incompetent, as much as they have been totally incompetent and continued to be that way in 2023, you will not get me all the way off the idea that they threw that Packers game on purpose, like back in week 14. Oh, it, oh it they felt, had them. It felt too eerie because I don't think that organ it. So front office is tank. We have a pretty good idea of that. I think coaches can be convinced to once the season is well out of hand. Right mm -hmm. now in the bears case, that's just not going to happen because not you this year you don't convince somebody to tank who's going to get fired. But yep. to use an example, Brian Dable, the moment he, I'm actually shocked that he went out there and made a statement with Tommy DeVito. Maybe he felt like his seat was a little warmer than he wanted it to be and needed to go get that one extra win and said to himself, we're still going to get somebody up high because these guys just don't do draft prep before, like during the yeah. season, right? Yeah. But all this to say that I keep waiting, Nick, for the dam to break on some of these teams, for the Packers to say, screw it, let's just lose, right? And I don't know if every organization even has it in them. Because Matt LaFleur, his seat is, the way you talk to Packers fans, you'd think that that seat is much hotter than like it should be. I mean, I dare you. Fire Matt LaFleur. Go for it. I dare you. Like, Well, I mean, the thing is, too, is that, I mean, so, I mean, Love's playing a little bit better recently. He had his first 300-yard game, and they're all sunshines and rainbows. Like, the Packers, they, they uh, so here's the schedule here. So I have, I have all the teams with three or less losses. The Packers have four games against those teams. Carolina, yep. they play, uh, let's see, Chicago, Giants, and where's the other one? Where's the other one? 
I can't three. believe it's going to happen, Nick, but, but it's going to happen. They're, they're, they're going to get wins. And so you you know what's going to happen. It happened last year. Remember, they got this winning streak. They played nobody. In the, they played yep. the Rams without Stafford last year, and they're like, yep. they won that game. They beat the Bears. Like, they're going to be making the playoffs, and they didn't. Like, they're going to be like a seven, seven-win team, and they're going to be they have, like pick 14-15. It's like, you know, go extend your love. There's one other big game this week, too, about this tank. Uh, Arizona hosts the Rams. Oh yeah, they do, and and so that's a so they're they're the the other teams, the three teams with two or less losses, all play teams with four or less wins. So we have we have some some good good things. One other thing to keep a note here. So again, no matter what happens with wherever the Bears end up, the Bears there's only two teams that are not right now penciled in to make the playoffs that have a better or an easier strength of schedule than Chicago. There's only two of them. One of them is Green Bay and one's Atlanta. They both have four wins. So even the Bears pick keeps getting easier, higher just based on that easy strength of schedule. So there's a scenario, Robert. This is not out there. Let's say New England wins, like you said, okay? Mm -hmm. The Bears have the first and second pick. Man, that would be, first of all, if the Bears do end up with the first and second pick, there will be no way to convince anybody to keep Justin Fields. Like you, you just can't be the starting quarterback. Oh, that, I'm sorry. Arizona has to win too, but sorry. I mean, they, right. they, no, but it, that's not me trying to be a, a total stick in the mud. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. to me, Justin Fields, unfortunately, we talked about this earlier. You have to have stats and you have to have dubs. Like you just can't lose this many games. It's not fair to Fields. Nothing about no. the Bears situation has been fair to Fields. Gotta mm-hmm. say that. Like no, the, it hasn't been. The Bears have given Fields a chance to show that he can rise above a bad situation this year. I think DJ Moore is that dude. I think the Bears offensive line is legit gelling. The weird part about this time of the season, do you feel this way, Nick? Is everybody is better than they started the season. Like we're in mid-season form. That's why mm-hmm. this term exists. And the only teams that are falling off are the teams that got hot earlier. I'm looking at you, Pittsburgh. Like the teams that have been overperforming to this point in the season, I would expect them to fall off. But there's mm-hmm. what? Okay, so do you believe in any like anecdotes that you can't prove? Like I haven't done the statistical research, but one thing that I think about is that I tend to think that a team is hungrier off of a loss. And after a win, especially when you're bad, it is hard to maintain the emotional energy needed to win twice, if that makes sense. It's harder to win streak, in my opinion, than it is to kind of go back and forth on accident if you're but not you all, very good. But you also get confidence. And then when you lose, you lose confidence. I mean, I've had that too. Like, oh, we suck. Versus, oh, totally. Oh, look at us. We're winning games. Like, we know how to win late in games. Which RIP Chicago. R.I.P. Yeah. Chicago, that you yep. got to think yep. that when Cole Komet goes on to CHGO and says, like, I'm tired of moral victories, that's exactly what he's talking about. But yep. if you're into the tank, if you listen to this point of the podcast and you're not spitting in disgust at the idea <laughs> that we're talking about draft position, the Bears just lost, but they lost in really, like, back-breaking fashion. The Vikings lost a game. You got to imagine they're mad they didn't win. Like, yep. they, f- they literally fumbled the game away on more than one occasion. And mm-hmm. so the Bears catch Vikings team that you got to imagine is going to be wildly motivated. And it's a great test for the Bears. It's a great test for Justin Fields. If the Vikings win it, there's this sunshine like on the other side, right? I want the Patriots to win because I don't want this team shack it up, right? I don't want this team to mutter to themselves, our quarterbacks suck. This Drake May kid looks great. Like, what if we just sucked it? Or like, what if we just 
packed it in. So right. the good news is that they're coming off of a bye, right? Yes. And they're about to play Tommy DeVito, aren't oh, they? Because oh, so they didn't play last yes. week. Yep. Like, yep. So they're coming off a bye to play a Tommy DeVito-led team that, while they're confident, might have relaxed a little bit, right? Because they finally got that first win in a while. Like, mm-hmm. you talk about confidence, Nick, but I, I can't help thinking that there's an aspect of, yeah, man, we're just going to do that stuff we did last week. And that never works in the NFL. Like, mm-hmm. they watched the game, too. And then on the other side, you got a Rams team that just had this really emotional last second victory against the the Seahawks. And now they got to go into an Arizona team that had a back-breaking, we were right there loss. They were there. Against yeah, Houston. they were there. And I can't help thinking, I know I'm making an argument that sounds like it's all pie-in-the-sky theory. I get you. But I can't help thinking that all of the Bears, like all the teams that you want to win, if you're a Bears fan for draft position, have the emotional edge. Right, like I mean, I mean, maybe I mean the Bears crackpot. (laughs) Could the Bears too, though? The the Bears are. I can't tell with the Bears honestly, because my argument would be with the Bears, they're either hungry as hell or they're the locker room broke this week. Yeah, I don't know which one. Now, now the one thing you know, you know, I'm I'm big on this. The rest, okay, huge rest advantage. The Bears played at noon. Okay, the Vikings played. I think Sunday night, right last week. So they did. So they got they have you know a rest advantage even though they're playing at Minnesota. So something to factor in. So do you do you want to go prediction first or you want me to go? Let's go prediction. Go for it. Okay. Um, I am gonna predict I'm gonna predict the Bears win, Robert, which is probably a little shocking. Um, I think they're due for a win. I think that they're playing well. Um, I think Fields is gonna have a good game. I think that the Bears are gonna win. Um 27 uh to 27 27 <laughs> 27 to 21 oh i know that's a lot of points on this minnesota defense uh, i know i think that this game is going to be ugly that's that's my overarching prediction i think it's going to be ugly one way or another i think that these defenses are going to get the better of the offense across from them i think the bears win i don't know i'm so tight because in my soul, I think that this Bears team just played too well not to win this game. I thought the same thing going into the Chargers game, though. So my soul is a Bears fan. And any chance it gets to be positive about the team, I usually take it, right? Um, gosh, Nick, I don't know where to go on this. I don't know where to go on this. I think You didn't think I was going to say they were going to win, did you? Uh, not by tw- not twenty seven to twenty one. I actually yeah. think the wind the winds feel navy and orange, right? Like the the betters loved Chicago going into Detroit. They were right to do so. And mm-hmm. if Justin Fields comes out and he runs like the maniac that he is, and he breaks tackles in the open field, the Bears are going to do what they do, and they're going to matriculate their way down the field. Yep. It's a hyper rushing attack, and it does mm-hmm. work. And Justin Fields is still rested, and then he'll get a week off, and he'll be rested again. To go up against like oh, the Lions. Now, now I have a caveat though. I will flip and give Minnesota the win if Justin Jefferson is playing. I don't think he is though, right? I, I don't. I mean, it's still up for debate. I don't know, but if that's that's the caveat, if if he's playing, I'm switching it. Right. I think this game is erased twenty. I think the okay. Bears win it, but we'll see. Josh Dobbs has done crazy things in the past. It's in yep. Minnesota, which yep. I tend to think 
really helps Minnesota. The Bears have not played well in Levi Stadium, if memory if memory serves. Um, but no, that's not not Levi. Levi is San Francisco. Is this one U.S. Bank? Yeah, U.S. Bank. Yeah, U.S. Bank. Um, but so. I'm so excited. I mean, I mean, you have to think about this too, Robert. I know it's prime time. The Bears are two and zero on Thursday night, and, and then Monday night here. And you Justin know? Fields so. is kind of a prime time king, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think I think I'm going to go with a sloppy Bears 19, Vikings 16 game. But yeah. I swear, if the Bears lose and embarrass me, I'm going to be so mad at myself. For, for submitting that as well. the win. <laughs> what? The, well, it was 1913 earlier against Minnesota. Yeah, it, so it was. was yep. So there you go. <laughs> and now, now they're better. Well, they're. I'm so interested to see what happens, Nick, because yeah. the Vike or the Lions basically ignored the only piece of the defense that every other offense in the NFL, and I mean all of them, have tried to pick on. They just said. We're not going to go at Tyreek Stevenson. We're going to go at these linebackers instead. And they did not have an absurd amount of success doing so. They nope. even attacked Jalen Johnson. Like they left, they left Tyreek well enough alone, which is mm. just weird. I don't think the Vikings are going to do the same thing. And I'm really interested to see which version of Dobbs we get because yep. he can be a little helter skelter, but 216 yep. passing yards is not none, right? Mm-hmm. But this Bears D line has been uh, honest, honest to goodness. I'm so interested because one thing I haven't done any research on. Have you? Has Dobbs running helped their rushing attack? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Let me let me look quick because I mean they. Um, let's look here. They have rushed. Oh yes, I would say yes. And so in the in the four games before he played, their highest awful. their highest team rushing total was 74. They were awful. In the three games after, they've had 146, 125, 175. So they're going to run the ball more. They've been trying to, right? But they've been terrible at it. Yep. It was it was a waste of a down every time they tried to run the ball. We talked about that in week six. And so, do, if, do, if, do you know? Do you know their their lowest total yardage on offense game? You know who it was against this year? Was it against the Bears? Two hundred twenty yards is all they had. They. It looked to me, Nick, like they had designed their entire offense around Justin Jefferson, and when he went down then it looked like they really didn't think he was going to go down until week se- or until Wednesday when he got announced out because that yep. offense that they trotted out looked all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and and then and then the next week they had 452 total yards against San Francisco. Best game of Kirk's career maybe. Like hey, very hey, possible. Bears defense is better than San Francisco. There it is. There it is. Lock it up. There it is. There it is. Lock it up. <laughs> it, it's because Matt Eberflus was such a good coach, right? Like, no, that's it. Yeah. It's the pass rush before they got sweat. That's what it was. <laughs> but anyways, we'll see what happens. What a game coming up. I mean, Nick, we've been saying this for a while because the season has felt like it's so dang long, but mm-hmm. this game might go for all the marbles. Like this game feels like if Matt Eberflus is going to bow up and make a stand, this is where he's going to do it. And yep. you know, the funny part, Nick, I am going to say something that might be illegal in Bears world, but if the goal was to be in the hunt in December, two wins will do it. Now, they've got to get two wins against two tough opponents. But honestly, Nick, after blowing things against easier opponents, what better way to prove yourself? Go beat a team that you should be able to punch with anyways. 
right? I mean, look at this. It's it's Dobbs led Vikings. Then you get the the Detroit again would be tough. Then it's but you're at home. You're at home. Like Detroit. Cleveland. Yeah, you're home. Cleveland with no Watson. I mean, they have a good defense, but their offense is what it is. Atlanta went back to Ritter. Now you know you got uh, Arizona in 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 Soldier. Right? I like them we'll spicy Cardinals goes. though. Like, and then and then, and, and then you got Green Bay. Like, I mean, it's it's not difficult either. No, I mean, so this I'm, is a swing game for sure. I'm not gonna say the p word. Right. I won't so, say it. So the only only thing I'm gonna say here is I know now we're wrapping up. Um, everybody, I thank you guys for listening. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving. Uh, travel safely. Enjoy times with your family. That's when I know sometimes it's not always easy with some family members, but uh, try and enjoy as much as possible and. Uh, you know, cause you never know how many times you do get with these loved ones. Right. Absolutely. And enjoy the day. Enjoy only as much football as your family wants you to watch. That is a lesson that I've had to learn the hard way is mm-hmm. make sure if possible, cause do we know which, uh, hang on, let me see which games are on Thanksgiving because aren't there three? <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. by the way, Nick, here's a question. Oh, here's oh a- I got it. You ready? Yes. So the early game is green Bay, Detroit. And then it's Washington, Dallas. Sorry for laughing. <laughs> I know. I know. And then it's San Francisco, Seattle. That could be fun. That might be the best game. That may be the best game. And then, like, I, I always think it's hilarious when the Detroit Lions are playing every single Thanksgiving. I mean, it's a tradition. I get that. It is. But I always goes, like, gosh, that year, those years where it was Lions-Bears, like, I got to tell you, having to explain to my family, again, for years consecutively that it was like, no, the bears are playing on Thanksgiving. I got to watch the game and do post game. Like nobody liked it. I am so glad that I get to just my, not deal my, with that. My best Thanksgiving memory bears playing is Eddie Jackson's pick six to seal it against Stafford. Remember that oh, one, man, that was awesome. Uh, another game. So uh, if we're going to talk Thanksgiving bears, recent memories, the fever dream game where uh, David blow, hung a thousand yards on the bears, but Mitch Trubisky was better was yeah. hilarious. That was nonsense. I, I, I expected such a blowout. And then I'm like, what is this quarterback doing against the bears? It was, that was a bad game. It was so funny looking back. They did win. Didn't they? They won. Yeah, they won. <laughs> yeah, But I, people came at me. Cause I was like, Oh, they're going to blow out. This guy is not a good quarterback. And then, <laughs> Eat my words a little bit. You know how Look Twitter always pulls up receipts. Look at you starting fights on Twitter. Well, you know, you know the receipt keepers on Twitter. They're always out there. Oh, yeah. You just sometimes you just got to ignore them. Right. But have a wonderful, wonderful day. The, the Bears, the Bears coaches are still probably positive about this season. The Bears coaches are probably sitting there all week long saying, guys, we were right in it with a team that's eight and two. Right. And if you're going to prove it, Nick, this is how you do it. Gotta yeah, be the Vikings. Just, yeah, hey, this is it. Make or break. Comparing two teams really quickly. You got the Bears. You got the Detroit, or you got the Denver Broncos, right? One team was awful. And then they beat the Chiefs. And then they beat the Buffalo Bills. And then they just started stacking wins little by little by little by little. Mm-hmm. Even after they lost to the Jets, they were in the tank. They were in the toilet, and they said, we're better than this, and figured it Mm -hmm. out. The Bears, somehow, every time, the talent seems to take us into a win that we couldn't avoid. 
Like the Bears have yet to win a game that wasn't against the Panthers by not a blowout, right? Like the yeah. only games they're winning, they are annihilating the team across from them. And then they immediately drop the next yep. one. Yeah, it's up and down. You, you know, my favorite stat is I was just pulled just to be pro Justin Fields and have a little fun on Twitter is uh, Fields threw four touchdowns against Denver. And everyone's like, yeah, but it's Denver's defense. And then I said, Mahomes is two games against Denver and Josh right. Allen. They combined for three touchdown passes. It's a different defense. <laughs> they figured something out. They have. They have. And kudos kudos to them for that. I mean, that's, that's again, coaches switching to players' strengths and getting away from weaknesses. So right. good to them. Now, as far as the rest of the week goes, do we get your DFS article? Uh, yeah, it'll come out. Yeah, I, I'll have to be working at it at you know some in-laws, but I'll, I'll it'll come out on Friday. Perfect, perfect. And then, folks, you can find me and Nick live right after the game. We're going to try to make these post games live more often because I think that just makes more sense. Uh, so that's this is me publicly daring myself to get the backdrop ready so that it doesn't look as janky as the last one did. But so beyond that, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Have a wonderful holiday season. Stay mm -hmm. safe. Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with us.